All right, guys, God is good. Are you ready to hear a word from the Lord? Did you come with an open heart and an open mind? Do you want to just receive something the Lord wants to say? I want to say this first. Jesus can change any life. Jesus can change any life. Uh, You're not here by accident. I say that all the time, and I really mean that. I believe God drew you to this church. And I want to say welcome to those of you who are online. You're not watching by accident. So I want to encourage you to just let God have his way in your heart. Do whatever he wants to do something in your heart. Um, Today, uh, I I want to ask you that question. Um, um, What is it that you see when you look into the mirror? Who do you see when you look into the mirror? Maybe you see someone and you've made some uh, decisions in your life and you're not real proud of them. Maybe that's what it is. And we've all been there before. We look in the mirror and we're like, you know what? Past that zit and that hair and that wrinkle. Um, I, I see someone that I'm not sure I like in that mirror. Maybe it's a bad temper. Uh, maybe, maybe that's something that you see or lustful thoughts or an addiction. Or maybe you see some hypocrisy. Maybe you see a tendency to worry. Maybe you see some arrogance and pride. Maybe you see an anxious spirit or a worry-prone spirit. Uh, Maybe you see low self-esteem. Maybe you see a people pleaser, any people pleasers in the house. Whatever it is, I want you to know God has a purpose for you. And God wants to free you up. He wants to free you. Uh, We're starting this new series here just for six weeks, and it's called That Used to Be Me. Today we're looking at uh, this whole idea of being lost, but the following weeks we're going to look at anxious. If you know someone who's been anxious, you don't want to miss next week. Angry, if you know someone who is just prone to anger or fearful or insecurity or lustful, any of those things, bring someone with you to church. You do not want to miss the next weeks. They're going to be good. So glad you're here. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and and love. And uh, God, I I thank you for hearing my prayers. Thank you for meeting with me this week. Thank you for your, your loving kindness, the forgiveness of my sins And God, as best as I can, I want to deliver your word uh, as you have led me to this passage, God. Um, Lord, we don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to play church. I pray that you uh, convict every heart. You encourage every heart. You speak to every heart, Lord. Get a hold of us just like you did with Saul on the road to Damascus. Lord, may we be changed after watching this video. May we be changed after attending this service. Wherever we're at, God, would you just arrest hearts? I pray that your kingdom workers are increased because of yeses, Lord, this, the today and, 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 and every day, Lord. Thank you for your grace. I want to pray also for my friend, Pastor David Etter, Lord. He's intubated right now, Lord, and I pray that you just minister to him. Make his lungs stronger and healthier, God. Uh, breathe life into him. And I just pray against this horrible virus that's attacking his body. Would you just uh, kill it and get rid of it, Lord? Also want to pray, Lord, for those in Afghanistan. I know there's believers and churches in Afghanistan who are underground, who've suffered persecution, even death during this time, God. And I just pray for them. Watch over them, God. Continue to be our Lord and Savior. Um, I pray, Lord, to just be your church. Be your church, God. That's my desire. Jesus, may you be glorified here in and through me and in and through this church. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. 
Amen. I, I don't want to go through the motions of church. Anyone want to do that? What a waste of time. Let's just close up the book and go home. We're going to do that. We can go watch uh, reruns of whatever. I don't know. Um, on Friday morning, I, I, I came to church and I work on the message all week, I uh, really do, and it's just something that I'm just like wrestling with God, like Jacob wrestling with God, and I, I'm working on this message, I'm preaching this message about being lost, and uh, on Friday, that's a time when I'm typically, I show up to the church and, and nobody's here, so I have a great alone time, prayer time uh, on Fridays, but, but this time, I, when I showed up, um, I, I looked outside, and right here in the back steps of our church building, I saw this guy just uh, just uh, lying there underneath our steps. And I, I first I thought, well, that's a guy, you know. <laughs> first I was like, what, what, it's not something I typically see. And then, and then I, 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 I thought, well, here are my options. I could, uh, I could walk on top of those steps, literally on top of him, and go into my office and write a message about the love of God. Yeah, I could do that. Or... I can talk to him. I can talk to him. It felt a little bit like the story of the Good Samaritan, to be honest with you. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to stop and I'm going to talk to him. So I'm not going to tell you his name. But I had a great conversation with a guy. And uh, I, said, I said, I'm going to be here working. Why don't you come inside? Because it was getting really warm. And on the backside of, of our building, it can get pretty hot once that sun hits us at a certain angle. So uh, he said, uh, you sure you're okay with that? I said, yeah, come on in. I had a peace from the Lord. Let me just say that. I only, don't only do this if you have a peace from the Lord to do this. Don't only if you feel led by God. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so he came inside and we had a great conversation about his life and his story. And, and you can hear some of the regrets in his life and some decisions that he's made. And now he's living with those consequences. And uh, um, I gave him some food, gave him some water and, and prayed with him. And, and I, I, he, he said, he sleeps during the day because it's so hot. Um, he finds some place to sleep, and then he wanders around at night. So anyway, I, I said, well, man, why don't you lie down here? And, and the guy slept in our lobby for about six hours. And I turned off the light so he can have a good nap, and he was snoring, and he, it was, he was in deep sleep. And uh, it was just so, and I'm, I'm inside my office, and I'm working on a message about being lost while there's some guy in our lobby who's clearly lost. And I thought, you know what? We're not that different from that guy in the lobby. We're not that different. Now, you can be lost over a lot of things. You can take a wrong turn and go down the wrong road. You, know, you can lose your keys, lose your cell phone, and you can lose your mind, so to speak. I mean, you can there's a lot of things you can do. But we're not all that different from that guy. Uh, the definition uh, that I looked up for the word loss says this, unable to find one's way, not knowing one's whereabouts. Well, <clears throat> you could be sleeping under the steps of a church, or you could be lost in the mountains, right? You could be lost on a hike. You can be lost in a storm. You could uh, you lose some money in your stock market. You can lose hope. You can lose purpose, but there's another lost that's probably not as noticeable. You might not be sleeping under the, or laying down under the doorsteps of a, of, a, of a church, but you could be lost and know you're lost and camouflage it really well. You know what I'm talking about? doesn't matter how much makeup you put on. doesn't matter how much you shave or groom yourself or what clothes you wear, what kind of car you drive or where you live. You could be in the spiritual condition of being 
lost, or you're not fulfilled, you're not content, there's something missing in your life and you're not sure what it is, so you try to fill it with that guy or that girl or sex or money or whatever it is, and you're still not satisfying that vacuum, that space right there, and you look into the mirror and you're saying, I'm not sure I like who I see. The word uh, lost is used quite a bit in the Bible. Uh, Jesus, it's part of his mission, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Let's read that aloud together, guys. For the Son of Man came to... So this word right here, lost, this word right here is defining those people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have a relationship with God. And think about this. Um, I, I think sometimes we can take some pride in being lost. Some people can. It's like, it, you know, I'm, I'm, not all who wander are, are lost, right? We can take some pride in saying, I'm just a rebel. I'm just going to live life however I want, and it's YOLO or whatever it is. But think about this. It was so important under the eyes of God that God sent his only son, and the sole mission was to seek and save those who are what? Who are, that's the job description that Jesus had to seek and save those who are going to hell. That's why he came into this world. It was that important for Jesus that he comes into this world to seek and to save those who are spiritually lost. And that's his whole mission. That's what makes the heart of Jesus beat fast. And when you look in the Bible, there's different metaphors for being lost. One of them is, is blindness. You know, there's that really popular song many of us know called Amazing Grace. And it says, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. So this idea of being lost, you see in the Bible, talks about this idea of blindness. Another metaphor is darkness. You see this contrast of darkness and light. And another metaphor is dead. In fact, the prodigal story, uh, Luke chapter 15, says, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you see this idea when it comes to being lost. You, it's this picture of you know, whether being blind or living in spiritual darkness or even being dead. Are you lost right now? Would you consider yourself lost? I think most men would say, no, I'm not lost. And, you know, just ask your spouse and she'll tell you the truth. Uh, <laughs> there's times we get lost. There's times we get lost. As I prayed about this, there was a person the Lord brought to my mind as I looked at this message. And, and this is a guy who uh, hated Christians. He, he wrote much of the New Testament. And as I thought about the spiritual condition of lostness, I thought about Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, this guy is like a rock star, of course. And oh, get that picture up there. Yeah, thank you, Avery. Uh, he, th this, is a, this is a guy who uh, has been through a lot. Um, he personifies this spiritual condition. He's also known as Saul. His first name was Saul. And when, when Jesus got a hold of him, actually his name was changed and started being referred to instead of Saul, he became 
Paul. So he's not one of the original, you know, 12. He was not part of the disciples. But he met Jesus later on in life. He had a whole different mission. And you read about him a little bit. Acts chapter 22 describes like a little bit like his, his resume. Here's his history. He said, then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way, that's those are Christians, from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. A little bit about Saul or Paul. He was educated. He was an intellect. He was a great thinker. This is a guy at the age of 13. He was sent to be mentored by this guy named Gamaliel, who was extremely, extremely proficient and knowledgeable of Jewish history, the Psalms, and all the works of the prophets. He was like a doctor for training Pharisees. That's who this guy Gamaliel was. So at the age of 13, he goes and he spends the next five or six years studying under Gamaliel. He's multilingual. He knows five languages. Could you imagine that? Five languages. You know, when you travel outside of the U.S., if you only know one language, they say, oh, you must be American. You go outside of the world, you go to another country, and everybody knows two or three different languages. And over here, most of us just know one language. His education would continue. He's an aristocrat. He's respected by the greatest thinkers of the day. That's who Saul is. Today, Saul would be considered a terrorist, a terrorist of Christians. He uses intimidation and fear and his intellect to arrest Christians, and his whole desire is to persecute them, to stop the church. Educated, cultural, respected, and lost. See, I want you to hear this. You can be lost and not know it. Is that you? Is that where you're at? You could be lost and not know it. I took my uh, mother-in-law to the doctors this week, and, and we went down to the south end of Thornton, went to an area that I typically don't drive around, to uh, Lotho, <laughs> Lothar, Lower Thornton, anyway. I took him down to, to Lower Thornton, and I was driving around, and I dropped off, and I took a turn, and I took another turn, and I took another turn, and then I thought, oh, I'm going to go visit my pastor friend over here, and I thought, well, I'm going to go drive by his place. I was driving by, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at the buildings, and I'm like, none of these buildings look familiar. Like, these streets don't look familiar. And then I realized I was completely turned around. I wasn't on the street that I thought I was on. And now I'm going in a direction I didn't think I was, I didn't, I didn't know where I was at. And I thought, okay, I got to backtrack. And I figured out, I had to look at my map to see where I'm at. I, I know it's embarrassing. But I, I thought, oh my goodness, where am I going? See, you could be lost and not know it. You could be down the wrong road and not realize you're down the wrong road. You could be in a relationship and not realize you shouldn't be in that relationship. 
You could be in a situation where you're going to this dark place and not really realize that this is not where I should be. See, you could make a case that Saul did not think he was lost. You could make a case that Saul thought his life had meaning. His life had purpose. He wasn't wandering. He had a mission in mind. He was educated. He was smart. He was eloquent. Everything about him. You look at him and you would never identify lostness with Saul. In fact, he saw himself as a righteous zealot. It wasn't God's will what he was doing, but he saw himself as a righteous zealot. Everything he did. Um, Helen Keller was this American author, disability rights advocate, political activist, and lecturer, born in Alabama. And at the age or at 19 months old, she became blind and deaf, 19 months old. And she did some great things to, uh, to, to help out in, uh, in disability rights. But she was once asked, isn't it terrible to uh, be blind? Someone asked her that question, and she said, oh, it's not that bad. And then she says this, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Wow. What a crazy, scary thought. Is it possible you can see but you don't have vision? Is it possible you are looking at things, you're looking at your world, you're looking at life, but you don't have vision? Is it possible haven't you ever met someone who considers themselves? I mean, Saul considered himself to be righteous. He knew the Bible. He knew it. I mean, he learned it from Gamaliel. He knew the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets. He knew, he knew it. He considered himself to be a righteous guy. This is a guy who says, yep, I go to church. This is a person who says, yep, I go, I've been going there for years. Yep, I know about him. But haven't you ever met someone that considers themselves to be righteous and they're lost? Have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever met someone who considers themselves to be a Christian, but you see them hate? Have you ever met someone who considers themselves a Christian, but you hear their words? Have you ever met someone who considers themselves to be a Christian, but you see their actions? Have you ever met anyone like that? You see their attitude, you see their habits, you see how often they go to church, you see how often they read their Bible. They call themselves a Christian, but you've seen their temper. They call themselves a Christian, but you see them live sexually immoral lives. Haven't you ever run across someone who sees himself as righteous, but they're abusive verbally? But they use foul language all the time. Haven't you seen someone who considers himself a Christian, but you see their post on social media? You've run across someone like that, haven't you? Saul saw himself as righteous. Intellect. Academia excelled. Probably had an equivalent of three to five doctorate degrees. But he was lost. 
Jesus warned the religious people of his day. In Luke chapter 11, the Lord showed me this verse. This was in my devotion this week. The Lord just showed it to me. And he was telling us about religious leaders. He said, make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Wow. Make sure that thing that you're so proud of, that position you're standing, make sure that virtue that you're proud of is not actually darkness. It's a, it's a trick of the devil. If he can get you to see that weakness as a strength, if he can get you to see that stubbornness <laughs> as a virtue, if he can get you to see that relationship that you shouldn't be, whatever it is, it's, it's an act of the devil. And Jesus said, make sure that that light that you have is not actually darkness. I know a Christian, husband, who goes to church and abuses his woman verbally and emotionally. It's not right, man. You don't do that. You don't do that. I know a Christian woman who's involved in an affair on social media and will not, will not delete that app. It's not right. I can tell you stories of Christians who see themselves as Christians. I know Christians who don't honor God with their time, with their money, with their bodies, with their talents, and they call themselves a Christian. Do you know anyone like that? We had, a, uh, we had someone leave Thorn Creek Church because I welcomed someone into Thorn Creek that had a different lifestyle. They decided to leave. And I want to I say this to everyone online and everyone in the house. Thorn Creek Church is a place full of grace and truth. We're going to welcome everyone in this church. We're always going to read every verse in the Bible because I believe this is the most loving thing you do. But I want every tax collector and sinner to be at Thorn Creek Church because we all need the grace of God. And I'm okay with someone leaving the church because we're allowing tax collectors and sinners into our place. I'm okay with that. Because you know what? There's plenty of churches around that they can go to. I want to be a place of grace and truth. And that's what Jesus was. He was full of grace and truth. You guys all right with that? Anybody else want to leave? You can leave. But I, I want you to know, in my heart, I want to see the kingdom of heaven increased. And I believe Christians have a responsibility to be Christ-like. I believe they have a responsibility to be authentic. And the way they love should be different. Saul, the way he lived, his mentor Gamaliel taught him something, something different. Here's the story of his conversion. And this is how he went from lost to found. Acts chapter 9. Here it is. We're going to read a little bit. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. 
As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. But when he had opened his eyes, he was, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. <laughs> now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for the man, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the son of God. Amazing story of a guy named Saul. What can we learn about Saul? What can we learn about being lost from this guy? What can we learn from him? How can you go from lost to found? How can you go from, from, from no purpose to purpose in life? How, do, how does that happen? I, I think there's some incredible truths in this story. So I want to share some of these truths with you. First thing I want you to look at is verse 3 again. It says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground. So Saul was not expecting to meet God. Saul was not expecting to have an encounter with Jesus. 
Saul was not expecting anything like that. And, and a light suddenly just shone down around him, just went all around him, and it had to just blow his mind. I mean, wouldn't that blow your mind? I mean, if you were just walking on the street or whatever it is, or walking in your driveway, and all of a sudden a light comes down on you, my guess is you would just go down to this position right here, wouldn't you? Like, I don't know what this is about, but it's much bigger than me. And you would humble yourself immediately. Saul, with all of his education, in one second, just bam, just like that, and he falls to his knees. That's what God can do. In one second, he could humble you. In one second, he can show you who he is. In one second, he can show you your limited Wisdom in just one second. See, the power of vision is not a sensual thing. It's not an academic thing. It's a spiritual thing. Saul didn't need more education. Saul didn't need to read more. Saul didn't need more lectures. He didn't need more TED Talks. He didn't need more conferences. He didn't need more. All of those things might be good. But he gained a spiritual perspective. All of a sudden, he had eyes to see. He didn't understand what he was seeing. This light comes down on him. He humbles himself. And no doubt, he's probably shaking in his boots. I know I would shake. Like, I don't know what's happening. See, you might think pretty highly of yourself. But God can humble you in one minute. One second, he can humble you. He has that ability. God has a way of humbling people. Verse 4 says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am who I am. I am, come on now, I am. And then what does it say? The one, the one you are persecuting. Now, when you look at scripture and you look at the life of Saul and and there's times and he's around, you know, when Stephen was being stoned, he was one of the guys that was there. But you never see Jesus actually, pers- or excuse me, um, Saul actually persecuting Jesus. You don't see that in scripture. What he persecutes or who he persecutes are the believers in Jesus. That's who he persecutes. He persecutes those who are of the way. Christians, that's who he's persecuting. So this means when Saul attacked Christians, Jesus took it personal. Oh, this is so good, guys. This is so good. Jesus took it personal when Saul was attacking his followers. You know what this means? This means when someone attacks me, they're attacking my Savior. Glory to God. This means I don't have to worry if someone comes at me. I don't have to worry if I'm being treated unfairly. I don't have to worry if I've been wronged. I don't have to worry if someone talks about me behind my back or behind closed doors. I don't have to worry if someone hurts me. Because when you attack me, Jesus takes it personal. Glory to God. You hear that? Those of you who are of the way, you have nothing to worry about. You live a life of faithfulness and obedience, 
And if you're persecuted because of Jesus, Jesus takes it personal. My God is with me and he's got my back. See, you thought I wasn't packing, but I'm packing right now, guys. I want you to know that. I'm packing. I'm locked and loaded, baby, right now. I'm locked and loaded. My Lord is watching over me all the time. And he's going to take care of me. Vengeance is his, not mine. He's got our back. Jesus takes it personal when Christians are attacked. He takes it personal. Verse 8 says, Saul picked himself up off the ground. Oh, now he's been on the ground for a while. Picks himself off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was what? He was blind. So his eyes were closed. When he was on the ground and that light was shining all around him, his eyes were closed. He was probably shaking like a leaf. And then, and then it says, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Now think about this. The light was the last thing Saul saw before he went blind. The light was the last thing Saul saw. In fact, the last thing he, he remembers hearing was a voice from heaven that says, why are you persecuting me? He opens his eyes and he can't see. This doesn't make any sense with his human reasoning. He's recognizing he's entering a spiritual dimension. Something's happening. Now think about this. Saul was blind for how many days? Three days blind. Three days. You know, God, Jesus, could have totally just kind of like, hey, Saul, here I am, bam, and, and then you keep going. But Jesus is so intentional. He knows how to reach you. He knows, which, he knows how to speak your language. And he makes Saul blind for three days. What do you think was going on in the head of Saul for those three days? What would be going on in your head for those three? I think you'd be evaluating a lot of things. I think you'd be full of fear. I think you'd be worried that your sight may not come back. I think a lot of things would be, I think you would be gripped with fear. All of a sudden, you're blind for three days. The Saul, the intimidator, the educated, the great thinker, the terrorist, now needs someone to hold his hand down the dusty road. Now he has to humble himself and say, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at. And he says, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll take you. Just give me your hand and I'll take you. Saul, the big guy who knows everything, who's in control of his life, is blind and now needs someone to hold his hand. For three days, the transforming power, hear this, the transforming power of God works best in the most private places in the dark. That's the best, that's the transforming power, the resurrection power. See, God allows you to go to these places that's extremely private. When Saul was blind for three days, all he was doing was praying. Have you ever felt like you're in a dark place? Like everyone else around you might be in another place, but you're in this dark place. You convince yourself nobody can reach you. You convince yourself nobody understands you. You convince yourself nobody can help you. And you're in that dark 
place. See, God does his best work in that dark, private place. That place where suicidal thoughts happen, where depression happens, where the thinking becomes destructive. All of those private place moments, those places that you don't share, man, you don't share with your woman what goes on in that dark place. Ladies, you don't share with anyone else what goes on in that dark place. See, God is able to reach you in that dark place. Glory to God. God is able to be there with you in that dark place. You may not feel like you know which way's up anymore. You may not feel like there's any way out. You may feel like it's too late. But it, with God, it's not too late. That's what I was telling my brother who was sleeping in the lobby, <laughs> lying down, and we sat down and had a great conversation, and I reminded him it's all about Jesus, brother. He's able to redeem and restore and bring to life, and he's able to reconcile. He's a good God. I said, it all starts with Jesus, brother. It all starts with him. In verse 9, some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Hasn't God met you in that dark place? You know what I'm talking about. It's by God's grace that you're breathing right now, isn't it? It's by God's grace that you're still here. It's by God's grace that you haven't walked away. You know who I'm talking about. Verse 10, it says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Say Ananias with me. Say Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I love this little line at the very end. It says, he is praying to me right now. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is talking to Ananias, and he's hearing the prayers of Saul. Isn't that cool? It's like in heaven, God's like saying, he's talking to someone, yeah, yeah, she's praying to me right now, but yeah, it's just so crazy, it's like a little insight behind the curtain of heaven. He's praying to me right now. He's, pray he's blind. He's praying to me right now. Ananias, I want you to hear this. For you to find your way, you have to hold the right hand. I don't mean the right versus left. I mean the right hand. It wasn't just anyone that God sent. It was Ananias. You know the name Ananias, you wonder what it means in the original Hebrew interpretation all the way to Greek? It means this, Yahweh has been gracious. That's what the name Ananias means. Yahweh has been gracious. Don't you need the grace of God? I need the grace of God big times. And he sends Ananias. And Ananias is a guy who loves Jesus. He's one of those who is from like the way. This is a guy who... Paul or Saul, I should say Saul, would want to persecute and capture and drag to Jerusalem and all that and even die. I mean, that's who Saul, this is one of the guys, he's on the hit list. And he gets, he gets Ananias and tells Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to go and meet this guy named Saul. Ananias wasn't quick to help out Saul. Because verse 13, he says, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, 
I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. It's so weird when you see conversations between like humans and God, isn't it interesting? And he's like, God, I don't know if you know how things work down here. I don't know if you know the politics down here. I don't know if you know this guy, but this guy's killing Christians. He's a Christian killer. That's who he is. You gotta be thinking of someone else. You gotta be thinking of someone else. It's an incredible lesson for Christians. Oh, you gotta hear this. It's an incredible lesson for us who consider ourselves Christians. The person that you see as your enemy, the person you hate, the person you avoid, the person that you do not want to be around, the person who has a different view, than you. The person who has a different opinion, the person who votes the wrong way, whatever way that is, the person who does look at, looks at life completely different, the person who thinks vaccinations are okay, or no vaccinations are okay, or wearing a mask is good, or not wearing a mask, the person who looks at life differently than you, the person that you post about on social media, that person can be a mighty instrument for the kingdom of God. That person. Aren't you glad God doesn't see people the way you see people? Because if he did, you may not even be at church. But he sees, he loves people. It doesn't matter what walk of life or skin color or language. Jesus just loves people. And that enemy that you want to write off could very well be a great instrument for the kingdom of heaven. I want to say this. Leave space for God to work. Love people. Leave space for God to work. I think sometimes Christians make God work. Because we get in the way and we say things and post things and do things just because we don't like the other person or whatever. And God has to undo everything you did. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, okay, I got to show you. I was just talking to someone. They're like, you know what? I, I, I know what Christians look like. This is what they did. They, they, they went to this guy and they pummeled him in the middle of the night. And if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want to go to church. Sometimes Christians just make God work. That's not what a Christian is. Someone looks and says, if that, if that guy calls himself a Christian, but I see how he lives. She calls herself a Christian, but I see how she lives. And they go, you know, we just make God work sometimes. And it's like, this world is hungry to see an authentic follower of Jesus Christ that denies himself and gives his life to him and, and, and says, God, use me any way you want. This world needs to see Christians, followers of the way, Leave space for God to work. Don't you find it interesting? Out of all people, out of all people, I mean, it's craziness. Out of all people, he says, I'm going to take that Christian killer. I'm going to take that Pharisee. I'm going to take the one who's responsible for all those deaths. I'm going to take the one who's persecuting. I'm going to take the one who thinks highly of himself, but he needs to be humbled. I'm going to take that guy, that terrorist, the one who hates those who are of the way, 
and I'm going to use him to lead the New Testament church. And he's responsible for 28% of the New Testament. In fact, many Christian denominations, their theology is based on the writings of this former terrorist. Many, many, many churches, denominations, non-denominations, whatever you want to call it, non-denominations, is a, they have a, it's a denomination. But whatever it is, it's, it's this guy. Christians, Christians draw lines in the sand far too easily today. We'll draw a line in the sand over wearing a mask. I wish Christians were just as passionate about telling someone about Jesus every day. You know that? I wish Christians were just as passionate about reaching the lost as making sure everyone knows their position. Jesus tells Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now this is, you know, you think about, I mean, Saul, what he did was he made Christians suffer, right? That's what he did. And he even saw them to the death. And Jesus took it personal. And he said, I'm going to show this guy what it means to suffer for my name. How, how ironic. How ironic. I want you to hear this. Your purpose in life is wrapped around the name of Jesus. Your purpose in life. Your identity is wrapped around Jesus. Your mission in life is wrapped around Jesus. Your happiness is wrapped around Jesus. Your peace is wrapped around Jesus. It's not wrapped around that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that wife, that husband. It's not wrapped around the next break you get. It's not wrapped around financial security. It's not wrapped around a job. It's wrapped around Jesus. That's how the lost are found. And our problem is when we go through difficult times and whether it's arguments in the home or an addiction or whatever it is, we just haven't truly humbled ourselves before Jesus. He's not really Lord of our lives. Not really. Everything in life for you, your purpose is wrapped around Jesus. I'll tell you, there's times, I'll just be honest with you, there's times I'd rather be with Jesus right now than be in this world. I'd be okay with heaven. Absolutely. I'd be okay with heaven. But I know the Lord's not done with me on this side yet. But when I die, man, there better be some hard worship and praising in my funeral. And I just pray that hearts turn to Jesus because we live for eternity, not for this temporal place. That's not what life is about. At this church, we're gonna be about Jesus. At this church, we're going to love tax collectors and sinners. At this church, we're going to preach the word of God every page. 
at this church, we're going to say, you can come here and we love you. I want to challenge you with something. When you look at Saul, he says this later on. He says, yes, everything else is worthless. He's now Paul. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite and the value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You see, Saul, he has been found. This brother is in a new place. In Galatians, he says, this verse I memorized when I first came to know Jesus. Maybe it's a verse for you to memorize. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what I want to do. If you're watching online, I want you to take on this challenge. If you're lost right now, I want you to know there's no glory in it. You're exactly where the devil wants you to be. But Jesus doesn't want you to be there. Jesus does something. Sometimes we think lost is just kind of a GPS thing. Like, your location, I'm lost, get me out of the woods. Okay, that's it. What Jesus does is he, do, he doesn't only rescue, he doesn't only find you at those places, but he also puts you on the right road. You see that? The destination is important for Jesus. Your course of life. It's like, okay, you, you're in this place and he's gonna pull you out. This was a dark place, whatever it is. He put, and then he puts you on the right road and he says, okay, this is the road right here where you'll know my love. This is the road right here where you'll do great things for heaven. This is the road right here where you'll have peace and joy. You gotta let go of this and 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 just, this is the road right here. See, it's not only about location, it's about the destination as well. He got Saul, took him, found him, but then he put him on a new course. And for the rest of Saul's life, Paul's life, he becomes an incredible missionary for Jesus. And he writes letters from a prison cell because nothing else mattered. I have been crucified with Christ, right? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you're lost, this right here is a time where you can be found. Are you ready to humble yourself? I'm talking to Christian and non-Christian because you can go to church and be lost. I want to invite you to humble yourself. There's a life God has for you. And I want to say one more thing. Here's the next challenge I want to throw out there. I want to throw a challenge to those of you who consider yourself a Christian. Do you love Jesus? I mean, is Jesus, has he done a pretty good job redeeming you? Has he done a pretty good job extending grace to you? Well, here's what I want to challenge you, Christian, to do. You do whatever you need to do, first of all, to make sure you're right with the Lord. You honor God 
with your attendance at church, with giving, with loving, with forgiving, with your talent. You honor God serving him. You do all of those things. But here's what I want to ask you to do also. It's a big one. Would you be an Ananias to someone this next school year? (laughs) Would you just build a relationship with someone that everyone else hates? You know that person that nobody invites to church? You know what I mean? That person who you think is just a lost cause. Just blow them away. Would you be an Ananias to someone and win them over for Jesus? Grab a hold of their hand. Grab a hold of their heart first. And then grab their hand. Bring them to church. Bring them to Thorn Creek. If you don't like Thorn Creek, take them to another church. But make sure it's a Jesus-centered church that teaches the whole Bible. And the pastor's mahogany complexion, too. They make sure that's important, too. All of a sudden, it just went like that, right? <laughs> like everybody's white. Um, <laughs> but would you be an Ananias to someone? You have an incredible savior. I want to encourage you, bring one person over the school year. Make them your project. Pray for them behind their back. Call out to God and start praying that God would soften their heart because you never know. You might be praying for a future pastor or missionary or leader in the business world that loves Jesus or philanthropist, whatever it is, you never know how God's going to use that Saul. You never know. Can you make that? Can you, can you, would you make that? Would you make that your your cause? Would you make that your cause? Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. And right now, I want to pray for the person who's lost. If this is you, you're lost. Maybe you need to get on your knees right there at your chairs, and you want to do that. Maybe you're at home right now, and you want to humble yourself right where you're at, and you want to just get on your knees, and wherever you're at, would you just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Jesus. Save me. Reach me in this dark place. Change my heart. Give me a new course for living. Give me a new passion, a new mission, a new hope, a new joy, a new power, a new desire, faith to walk with you. If you call yourself a Christian, would you just say this? God, I want to be an Ananias. Jesus, I want to be your Ananias. Tap my shoulder. Tell me who I need to uh, work on. Tell me who I need to pray for and, and give me wisdom. I want to I win their hearts over for you, Jesus. And I want to grab them by their hand and I want to lead them to church and I want to see them in heaven. So right now, put that person on my heart. Thank you for your grace and your love. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.